Welcome to Sticky Standards, Episode 30. Sticky Standards. Professional learning that sticks. Welcome to Sticky Standards. This is Dana Richardson, and we are excited today to have a a friend that I've not known very long. Actually, I've known of her and all of her work, but we've not connected until recently. So, Pat Roy, welcome to Sticky Standards. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Do you want, let's just tell our audience a little bit about you. (laughs) Well, I started out as a junior high teacher, and that's been a really important part of my career. Um, I keep going back to it. It, It's it's like a touch point. But beyond that, I've done a lot of work in professional learning. I was president of then NSDC in the 90s and have served on many committees around the standards. In fact, all three sets of standards that have been built, um, did a lot of writing um, support materials around that. So uh, the standards have really been an important part of my 15, 20 years. Well, they are so important and professional learning again is so important. Before we dig into some dialogue, let's begin with the, the standard that I've been most passionate about lately is learning designs. And that's the one that you and I talked about. So um, why did you select learning designs as our focus this morning? For me, and this is where my touch point comes in again, as a junior high teacher, two things were really important to me, knowing content is always important, but it's instruction. That's always been a passion for me. Uh, since I started teaching, and I believe that for me, learning design is the same thing as instructional strategies. And so we have to pair those two pieces. We have to know our content, but as important is that idea about how to actually teach the material so that we get to the objectives that we want. So I also think that over the last couple of years, there's been incredible amount of information about different ways, different kinds of learning designs, and yet I still don't see the kind of change that I'd like to see when it comes to professional learning. There's still lots of stories of people getting lectured at. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I just don't understand what's going on because we have so much information about it. You know, we used to talk about you could uh, have a PowerPoint and a lecture on cooperative learning. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> And I think maybe the same thing. So when we look at learning designs, we know there's three big ideas or themes to apply learning theories, select our designs, and then promote active engagement. So when we put those together, how do we ensure that what we learn ends up changing classroom practice? I think that's one of the shifts that we need to make in our thinking about learning design. I sometimes think, at least I know I do it, I see a new learning design and say, oh, wouldn't that be cool? Let's try that. Instead of thinking, is this a good match for where people are? 
so that we can change not only their knowledge about that new instructional strategy or even content for that matter, but we also have to pay attention to changing behaviors. And I think that for me is really what the essence of the learning design is about, is that we know that people don't change their behaviors just based on knowing something. We, we know about that knowing-doing gap mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. So part of what learning design has to do is help us bridge that gap so that we not only help people know about a new strategy or a new content, but we actually help and support them until they have those new behaviors. And they're actually using it in the classroom. We have to extend our thinking about what professional learning is to get to those behaviors. That has to be just as much about our learning design as not knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that when we make that leap or help people make that leap between knowing and doing, then we're going to get it into the classroom. I think you're right because, of course, I have a, a core belief that we're all doing the best job we know how to do, mm. whether we're administrators or teachers or teacher leaders. And so when I've talked about learning design, I've heard people say, that's the one I don't understand, Dana. The other six standards, I understand. So talk to me more. So I think when you talked about comparing it to instructional strategies in the classroom, it is kind of the lesson plan. It's more than that, but maybe it's the unit plan. Um, right, um, right. But it, is it also whether we have a core belief about we want to help adults through the implementation process? I think that underlying all of this, I know when we had talked earlier, I keep thinking that there's a block somewhere, that it isn't a lack of information about learning design. So we have to go either a level up or down from there and mm -hmm. say, it's a belief system that's at work. And I think part of it is a belief that says, and I've heard a paraphrase of this, well, teachers are college educated, mm -hmm. so all we have to do is give them knowledge and then they'll know what to do. And so the corollary of that also is if they don't do it, then they're being resistant or, you know, obstreperous mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. So I think we really have to look at that idea. This is what goes back to learning theory. That's a part of the mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. key element is do we truly believe that adults need support to change their practice, to change their behaviors. And I would argue, especially as we look at everything from Weight Watchers to, you know, whatever anonymous, that part of what that group is about is really changing behavior. It's not just the knowledge mm -hmm. that I shouldn't be eating, you know, certain foods or I need to exercise. It's actually doing it. So I think if we were to probe deeper and really ask that question, do you believe that adults need support to make a change, we might get people at least to think about it. But I think it's almost one of those um, underlying beliefs that they don't really even examine. I think you're right. When you've talked to people about that, what has been their response? I think that there's so much 
It, it depends on who I talk to. Okay. Um, when I talk to coaches, people who actually go into the classroom and work with their peers and their colleagues, they, they shake their heads yes. They know that that's true because they've been on the front line. I think it's people who aren't in classrooms regularly or aren't seeing the struggle that there are many teachers really trying um, to use new practices. Mm -hmm. um, they don't see it. They don't feel it at the same level. And so they, they might sort of nod their head, but I, I just don't get the feeling sometimes that they know it in their heart. You know, they don't know it from their own experience. So those are the folks that I'm more likely to hear, oh, teachers are just being resistant if they don't change their practice. And and then it's another conversation about really, you know, what was the, when was the last time you needed to change your behavior and how long did it take? That's kind of the, the dialogue that we mm -hmm. need to have with people who aren't up close to that change in classroom practice. When we have those dialogues, I know Stephanie Hirsch keeps saying we don't want uh, educators to learn the standards or what the practices we want them to experience them. And there's, that's from knowing to doing. Mm -hmm. So how do we create experiences for our teacher leaders and our other leaders to understand that need for support? I think that's a great question. And if we had, uh, uh, there are lots of people who have looked at that. I always go back to Bruce Joyce's work and Beverly Showers, that even when we show them those charts about mm -hmm. what it mm -hmm. is to really practice, and I see people in, you know, participants when I've used that, and sometimes they're absolutely shocked. They can't believe it that. So it tells me that underlying that somewhere is they maybe don't really believe it because it either hasn't been part of their experience or I don't know. It, and so the, there has to be something, I think, maybe in trying to help people see. It's almost like a simulation. Let's have you change this practice and whatever that practice is. I think especially for administrators, it doesn't tend to be quite as focused as classroom instruction. And I think that's where we, we get into a bind. What is it that we're asking administrators to do? It's probably around leadership mm -hmm. and literally asking them to change their practice when they're leading a staff meeting. And to see it's not so easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. We have to give them something practical and real. And that really has to do with their job as well so that they don't think it's about motivation. Uh, they don't think it's about attitude or mm -hmm. um, other kinds of things. They can see it really has to do with what's going on in professional learning. And that goes back again to the second component of selecting learning designs. I'm wondering, again, if maybe we haven't done a good enough job talking about which learning design fits for where we are going across the bridge of implementation. Um, I think that's, that's a great point. I was, um, uh, I've had a good time reading your latest book on learning designs. 
and the charts in there uh, that talk about, you know, what's the purpose of each of these designs. I mean, going to an all-day workshop at your service center is okay, but it's Mm -hmm. not the only. Or doing a book study is okay, but it's very low impact. That seems maybe might be helpful. What what have you found out about that? I I think that that's true, and that's why in that section of the learning design book, I tried to lay out there's a theory of change mm-hmm. that, um, granted, there's lots of different ways that we can look at learning, but it's about building knowledge. It's about building skills. And then it's about changing practice and that we can have to begin to recognize that one single design is not going to meet all of those three or four objectives. That So we have to think about learning design on a continuum. Mm-hmm. Where do I start? Just as we do with kids. I think that's where we go back yes. to the lesson plan or the unit. Uh-huh. We're not just using, it's like lecture will do everything. Well, we found out lecture doesn't do everything that we need to do for mm-hmm. kids. It's the same thing for adult learners, that we need to change our strategies. The other part of that, though, that goes along with it is that we have to have a diagnostic tool so we can find out where people are. Have they truly understood Mm -hmm. what we need them to understand? Are we ready to go on and build skills? What can we do during our work together that helps us diagnose and collect data about have they understood the skills that we need them to have? And then how do we support them in the classroom? Because that's a whole other mm-hmm. piece. And that's where our instructional coaches are so important. And modeling as well as co-teaching, co-planning, mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So that we have to look at these as different phases and just not assume that just because they know the language, let's say, of cooperative learning, mm-hmm. they'll actually be able to do it in the classroom. So in, in part, as a designer of professional learning, I have to look at those individual pieces and begin to think about what am I doing right now? Am I building knowledge? Am I building skills? Am I helping them plan? And have I selected a design that will help them accomplish that particular mm-hmm. objective that I have? And that's why in the book... What I tried to do in terms of describing each of the designs was also saying, what is this good mm-hmm. for? What's the purpose? <laughs> what yeah. can it help us accomplish? And they're all so, good. I mean, uh, th- you know, they're, yeah. they're all yeah, good, I think depending that's a point we on... We tended to sort of make, especially the, you know, the training session, just this horrible thing that you don't want to do. Well, mm-hmm. there are times when that's really appropriate, yeah. mm-hmm. but not enough. Yeah. And again, I think, just what you said about selecting the design, I think then it's also looking at your audience. Absolutely. Because some, there are the high flyers and there's the low flyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in a meeting this past week and we were really trying to generate ideas and I kind of, I'm kind of spontaneous about those things. And uh, there were several, I got five emails after the meeting, as people were driving home, they had ideas because they process things differently than I. Uh, and that reminded me again that whatever design we do, there are going to be those 
high flyers who will go back and implement it tomorrow. And, and I think Shirley Horde talks about that a lot. When we ask for feedback, we can't get, we ask for feedback from people who haven't implemented it yet. We're not going to get uh, the results that we want. Exactly. Well, and there's lots of folks that I've been reading lately that's talking about the amount of time. Uh, I mean, Bruce Joyce has talked about that a lot to really get to full implementation. Mm -hmm. And what he means by that, as well as Doug Reeves, is that we have a majority of the staff implementing consistently mm -hmm. with high fidelity. So that's quite a high watermark as far as I'm it concerned. Is. And to get to that point, if we have support, it's still going to take two to three years. Mm -hmm. And if it's a very complex change, it could take up to five. Now, Solon is suggesting that if we have the support already in place, we can cut that time in half. It's just that we so rarely have the support in place. It's almost as if we're waiting to see if people need, need yeah. it instead of saying, I know they will, so let's yeah. get it together. <laughs> and not only the support, but the culture of change or the culture of innovation, yep. it might even yep. cut it shorter. You know, if, if this team is a, a mature team and, and works together and, and uses uh, designs uh, that have high, high impact, you know, if they do lesson studies or if they do uh, share each other's class, whatever those things are that are, have the highest impact, those teachers will probably get to full implementation differently than a team that's brand new, that they don't know each other, they don't trust each other. Absolutely. Have, you know, they have a new administrator, whatever. the. So I, it's complex to choose the right um, design because all of those things matter, just like a classroom of 30 kids. They all matter. Right. And there isn't – I think that there's lots of different – combinations mm -hmm. of learning design. There isn't the perfect yeah. design that's going to work, um, you know, in this sequence. We really have to con continuously collect data mm -hmm. to see how it's going. I worked with some administrators out in Kentucky on some work when they were first getting started with the Common Core, and they had benchmarks set out for themselves, but every month the district administrators would look at the lessons as their formative assessment to say, have teachers understood what it is that we want them to understand? And many times they found what they had to do was reteach. For whatever reason, teachers were, at least they weren't seeing in the lesson plans the progress that they wanted them to have or the understanding. Just like we reteach in the classroom, we have to be ready to mm -hmm. do that in our professional learning. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have to have that data collection system. Mm -hmm. We have to have that formative assessment system. It's the only way that we can begin to collect the information that will help us make the choice mm -hmm. of what is the next thing we're ready to go to mm -hmm. and are people ready for it and what's the design that's going to be most helpful. Absolutely. You know, the other uh, component of learning designs is active engagement. Talk to me, what's that mean 
to you, Pat? Active engagement. I'm a veteran cooperative learning teacher. That's how <laughs> I got started. Um, and I think that's why instruction is so important to me. So I know what active engagement is on a certain level. I think that what it means in this standard, though, goes deeper than just asking people to turn to each other and do a think fair share during you know, mm-hmm. a session that we have mm-hmm. with them. To me, it goes deep to the point of actually asking teachers to make their own choices about looking at student data mm-hmm. and determining what it is that students need to know and be able to do, and then making their own decision about what they need and how are they going to learn it, how are they going to support each other. I, 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 to me, that's what the real active engagement is, that they're actually running mm-hmm. their own PLCs as opposed to someone telling them mm-hmm. what they should be doing <clears throat> during PLC time. And that, that goes back, that's kind of a combination of not only learning theory, because we go back to the learning mm-hmm. theory about adults. And mm-hmm. adults are really charged up when they have a real problem that they want a solution to. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of active engagement that I think we need to be looking at. That's the core for me about what the mm-hmm. standard is. It's not someone else making a decision for teachers about their learning, but teachers actually getting to make their own decisions about what they need to do and how they're going to do it. So you're really mm-hmm. talking about ownership. They own their learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. You know, in this short amount of time we've been talking, you've talked about learning communities, you've talked about leadership, certainly talked about data, talked about implementation. So I think, again, it's all fits together, doesn't it? Absolutely. That's why there's almost an artificial part to having the standards separate, and mm-hmm. I know that learning forward has a great graphic where it looks yes. like a wave and mm-hmm. saying, really, they're all yes. related. But just, it's hard to explain a single standard, yes. you know, and having to mention everything else. It's just a little bit too confusing. Um, but it fits. I mean, it oh, makes yeah. sense. It has to fit. It does and make I guess sense. I'm, I, I think it's something you said earlier, too, that's making me wonder. It's not the first time that I've heard people say, I don't get this learning design standard. That's, again, where I wonder where the block is and what we need to do to be better at helping people understand what mm-hmm. the difference is, what, what is learning design about, but also why is it important? What mm-hmm. difference does it make if we have a good design or if we don't have a good mm-hmm. design? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's about outcomes. It's about implementation. Yeah. There goes the other one. Yeah. Now, we, now we've got <laughs> them all, all <laughs> and we and again we have we want the resources to be able to do that. Uh, but isn't um, the comment you just said there is because we want to expand or grow educator capacity and build self-efficacy, and that's through learning designs. It's, and it, it's that combination of the learning design and the active engagement mm-hmm. when what we know is that we build self-esteem and self-efficacy is that when we have a challenge, 
and we figure out how to overcome that challenge. It's not somebody telling us mm -hmm. what to do. Yeah. It's really, it's going through that process and it's not always easy. Um, it's not always calm, isn't it? you know, it can, mm -hmm. it can really jar us a bit when we don't know what to do, but that's when we can really make the biggest change and also grow our sense of self mm -hmm. and especially those of instructors. I think it's incredibly important to do that. Wow. wow. We've covered, we've talked about a lot. <laughs> this is exciting. Well, These are meaty standards, aren't yes, they? Yes, they are meaty standards. They absolutely are. And I mean, with this standard, what we're saying is one size doesn't fit all. And there are yeah. so many possibilities. So if you want to add a, add a bit of wisdom here at the end, what, what else would you like to share with our listeners about this I, exciting standard? I think to... This is probably going to be a conversation that they're not likely to have with their peers, but to really think about what do they believe about adults and their learning, to really try to attack that idea that is it just, some teachers have told me, oh, it's just the new teacher or the weak teacher that needs that support. And the reality is when we look at those high flyers, that's a very small percentage of our teaching staff. And if we look at some of the research, it's, you know, maybe somewhere between 7 and 10%. We can't be satisfied with just the people who can hear a great idea and go do it. We have to worry about the rest. <laughs> and that's what I think the learning design standard is all about is how do we help support the rest because they can get there. Mm -hmm. They just mm -hmm. need something different. Um, more time, more support, more conversation. Mm -hmm. The other thing is they can do it with their peers. Absolutely. It doesn't have to always be with a coach who's coming from the outside mm -hmm. that very strong PLCs or learning Absolutely. teams who are at the point where they can take a risk with each other mm -hmm. and let each other know what they can't do right? Uh, and ask for help. Absolutely. Those are the teams that are really going to move forward and really help each other with their learning. Wow, this has been a great dialogue. The time has flown by. I Thank you, Pat, so much. And, and why don't you plug your book a little bit? And, uh, oh. <laughs> well. um, there's a series of seven books, one for each of the standards that Shirley Hoard and I, um, we wrote one book together on learning community um, and we've sort of divided up the rest. Um, the learning design book is out. Um, it's from Corwin Press and I believe it's also sold on the Learning Forward website, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a bookstore. Um, they're short uh, for a reason. They're Many of them are less than 100 pages. We wanted something that would be kind of easy to pick up and possibly use um, at school. It has a front piece that has the research base. What do we know right now about that particular topic? And in the learning design book, um, it's um, Ellie Draco. Um, 
from Harvard, I believe, Draco Severinsen, who has written the piece on the research. And then there's also a case study mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. is of a real district and a real school where Valerie von Frank has gone out and done interviews and put it together into a case study. And we've also made that a learning activity in that now we have um, discussion questions so we can ask people to read the case study and then talk about it. What do they see? They're not perfect. And that's mm -hmm. a wonderful point that I think yes. Valerie has brought out is that these aren't the ideal necessarily in every single way. And so it's a way to see how real districts are tackling the issue of you know, each of the mm -hmm. standards. And then there's a centerpiece that either Shirley or I have written that has to do with really trying to get down to the brass tacks. How do we actually do right. the standard as opposed to what do we know about it? It's how do we do it? What are the skills uh, that we need to have in order to actually implement the standard? Well, um, it's a great book, and I would recommend all of them have been. You know, there's I think that's the fourth one so far, and very practical and very usable for for our listeners who want to dig in a little bit deeper at this. So so thank you, thank you, thank you for this great uh, dialogue, and uh, have a great day. Thank you, Dana. It was a pleasure. Thank you, thank you. You're listening to this podcast on Remarkable Chatter, part of the ESDAC Broadcasting Network. To find out more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit RemarkableChatter.com. Yeah. <laughs>